Good morning. Good morning. Amen. Glory be to God. Hallelujah. What I'm going to share with you this morning comes from a number of different places, but the main place it comes from is in Jeremiah 1, 5. It says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. And what I want to share with you is that each of you are individually and wonderfully made by God. Some of you might be short. Some of you might be tall. Some of you might be light. Some of you might be dark. But you're each individually, wonderfully, and fearfully made. Fit for the master's use. Amen. Amen. Well, here's a question for you. If you didn't see it up on Facebook, does God really know more than you? Now, of course, just about every one of us is going to agree with that, right? However, the way that we live our life would probably say something different. We're going to take a look at a story here today where people thought they knew better and began to counsel the anointed one. Yeah, they did. I'm sure no one here would do that. <laughs> it sure happened in the Word of God. We're going to be over in Mark, the sixth chapter. Last week, we were looking at the nobleman's son. And we saw that Jesus' that attitude towards people who were more turned on by miraculous works than by the Word of God, he wasn't as impressed with. But here in Mark chapter 6, in verse 30, this is a familiar story I know to all of you. I did some looking up. This is a harder, you know, sometimes I try and tell you when the last time was we, we taught on something. And this is a harder one to do because um, this is one of those things that's, a, that's one of those uh, epi- uh, accounts in the Word of God that's recorded in all four, all four Gospels. I, sh- I didn't think about this until I was sitting here. And... Um, I began to think, how many of the how many of the events in Jesus' life are recorded in all four Gospels? Now, if something is recorded in all four, and most of them are not, then you would have to think that the ones that are recorded and put in all four have a high level of importance, right? Do you know the birth of Jesus is recorded in two? Now, his death is recorded in all of them, but his birth only in two. So I began to sit and think, and this is just off the top of my head. I didn't go back through and, and check it out, so I might be off on a little bit of it. But uh, the, the woman with the issue of blood, I believe she's counted in two, and yet she had great faith. The centurion, I believe he's counted in two, and yet he had great faith. Some of the episodes in the Word of God are recorded in one, sometimes two, sometimes three, but only a handful are recorded in all four. The story we're looking at here today is recorded in all four. All four Gospels carry it. So it's a little tough to sit on back and go, going for me to find it. But the last time I saw that we went over this was about four years ago. That's a long time. It is so important, such an important story that all four recorded, uh, recorded it. And do you know that this is the only miracle that Jesus did? that is later recorded as something they should have learned something from. That they did not learn this lesson. 
So with all that, Mark chapter 6, verse 30, Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said to them, Come aside by yourself to a deserted place and rest a while, for there were many coming and going, and did not even have time to eat. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. Now in John chapter 6, in verse uh, 7, you're going to see, this is uh, in John's account. He accounts, he, he records this this same miracle in chapter 6, just like Mark puts it in, in what we call chapter 6 anyway. But he goes on and in verse 7 of chapter 6, he records that Jesus commissioned his 12 disciples to go out and to lay hands on the sick. And we found out from here that they were laying hands on the sick, ministering to them in the name of Jesus. And they were marveling that even the demons were subject to them in his name. And they apparently were also teaching them things. Because that's what they said here. Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. So after they went out, they came back to Jesus and all 12 of them, each of them, I guess, went to different places. And they said, hey, I laid hands on this one. And they were healed. I cast out the spirit in this one. And this this spirit went, or two spirits went, or three, whatever it was that had, had gone on. These things were going on. I was teaching them. And they probably just said, remember that lesson you taught over in uh, Galilee? Yeah, I, I taught them that. They, they were probably just going over. Oh, what did you tell them about that? And uh, he, well... This is, this is what I went over. And so he spent some time listening to what they had done and what they had taught. Sometimes it gets away from us that Jesus was not the only teacher. That he raised them up and before very long, these folks were going out and teaching. They would go out to different places where Jesus wasn't because he would send them out. And among things they would do beside ministering healing to folks is that they would, they would teach. And so he said to them, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. Now, a deserted place is a place where there's no people. There's nothing that attracts people. It's just deserted. If you, you it, it has a hard time for us around this area because where can you go where there's a deserted place? Right around here. I mean, there are not too many. There, you can find a few, but there are not that many deserted places. Now, if you go out and more western Pennsylvania, you'll find some deserted places. But if you really want to see deserted places, go out to Texas and Oklahoma. Now, I just know those two states from being there. There are some deserted places. There's uh, I know other states have deserted places too, but we're talking there's nobody there and there's no reason for people to be there. They're deserted. So he's going to take them to a place that's deserted because his purpose is for them to rest a while. For there were many coming and going. And they did not even have time to eat. Have you ever had a day or a series of days where you're fighting to get time to eat? I mean, I, you know you should eat lunch, but there's just so much to do. And you're just so busy. And you just get right on through lunch. You know, sometimes, you know, I, I, my, my typical habit is, my wife and I, we both are on the same, same page on this, is that we usually skip breakfast and I'll sometimes get a granola bar. And I'll eat a granola bar or two in the morning, and that's a that's about it. Uh, we try and make our big meal be be lunch, but sometimes we both just get busy doing some stuff, and uh, and she'll come on in and she'll say, "Hey, do you want to have lunch?" And it's you know one thirty, two o'clock, and by that point I say no, because you know more than likely I'm going to go out and go go for a run, and you do not want to run on a full stomach. 
That's just not a good idea. I'm sure some of you have never done that, but if you had, you would know. Don't do it. So now I just wait until after I run and I'll, I'll just eat dinner. And then sometimes, I don't know if you, you know this, but if you, you, you can run in a, in a way that you lose all appetite. It's all gone. And you're just not hungry. Sometimes I've come back in from there and, and she's ready to, to go for some dinner. <laughs> I'm just not hungry. <laughs> if I'm not hungry, I don't force myself to eat. If I'm hungry, I'll eat. But I don't force myself to do that if I'm not. And so, um, you know, there's just things that go on during the day and you may just not eat and all of a sudden you remember, I haven't eaten in a while and you know what? I'm kind of hungry. I mean, it never happened to you. Yeah, I'm kind of hungry. And so, if you're hungry, what kind of places do you want to go to? I mean, restaurants? Because you went to food fast. Or um, a grocery store? Go out there and get some food and bring it on in. Uh, how many of you, if you are really hungry, haven't had time to eat, go to a deserted place? Well, maybe they had some food with them and they were going to take that along. But from the rest of the story, that doesn't seem like that happened. It seems like they were hungry, hadn't eaten anything, were too busy with ministry to mess with eating. And so Jesus takes them to a deserted place and it seems that they brought no food. So just that just sets the stage. You may not have been aware that when they, when they came out here that they were hungry and that they had no food with them. And they went to a deserted place, not to the McDonald's, nearby. Nice little fancy pizza place. I don't know, what's a good, what's a good Jewish uh, fast food place? I, I, I just don't know. I don't know a whole lot of uh, Jewish food. Uh, some people do. We were at the, down in Florida one time. We went to that uh, Bible land, and uh, and they had uh, they had four or five you know, they, they had four or five uh, meals there. You know, amusement parks are not known for their food, and so they had you know hamburgers, I think was one of them. Um, just you know maybe chicken nuggets and stuff like that. Just the stuff that they would have it there. But they had one that was as close to as I know anyway authentic Jewish food. So there was one, I mean, there was lamb in there and just some, some other stuff that I didn't even know what it was. And for whatever the reason was, I ordered it. <laughs> and I went and got it and doggone it was good. <laughs> but don't ask me what it was because I don't know. <laughs> but if I could, I'd get it again. That was good. But anyway, so they're in a deserted place now. Their purpose for going to the deserted place is for rest. I've heard some, some moms talk about this, that sometimes when they need rest, they go to the bathroom and lock the door. And, you know, the kids won't leave you alone, but they can't get you. <laughs> so, you know, you go to a deserted place. You go to a place where there's no people. This is what they, they had done. Now, have you ever, if, if you have ever determined what you need, Jesus determined that they needed rest. They didn't say they needed rest. Understand, the disciples did not say, Jesus, we are tired, we are hungry, we need some rest, we need some food. They didn't say that. Jesus said that to them. So can you imagine Jesus coming out and saying, I have perceived that there is a need among you, and that need is we need to get you some rest. Jesus has perceived that they need some rest. How many think that's pretty authentic? Have you ever determined what you need and set out to get it? 
maybe God has shown you something that's missing in your life. You know, we talked about it before, diets. God's shown you a change in your diet. God's shown you a change in your exercise program or beside that. Maybe God has shown you that uh, you need more time in the Word. And He's uh, put it in your, in your heart. He says, you know, in the morning, wake up. I want you to wake up an hour early. I want you to spend some time in the Word. And we got that from God. Or you need to have some more time in prayer. And God's told you, I need you to, to do this instead of lunch for this week. I want you to go and I want you to, to pray over lunch. We get that in our, in our spirit. Uh, maybe we've determined I need more friends. And so you've set out to do some things to, to accomplish that. Uh, maybe you determined you needed a new job. Not just because you're dissatisfied with the one that you have. <laughs> Don't ever move because of dissatisfaction. That'll hurt you. But because in your spirit, God is saying it's time to move on to a different job. So many things, and we can get from God, or even determine inside of ourselves that we need something, and then you send to, you, you go out there and you try and accomplish it. And then we come to verse 33. But the multitude saw them departing. See that? Now you've determined what it is that you need, and you went out there to get it, but other people saw what you were doing. But the multitude saw them departing, and many knew him, and ran there on foot from all the cities. Now I read this, I read this over and over, I kind of laughed at this. Because I guarantee you this, they didn't all run. You read that, it looks like they all ran. I can guarantee you, we'll go home and get to heaven, and I'll ask for the videotape on this. I guarantee you, not all of them run. If I were right now to take you all outside and say, I want you all to run over to the firehouse, how many of you are walking? Yeah, you take a large multitude of people and you say, that's all go run somewhere. And most of them are staying back. Most of them aren't going. Now, in that group, if you have a large multitude of people, you will have this particular group. And 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 some of them, when they say, we're going to go there and some of them have it in them, I will be there first. It is more important that I get there first than that I get there. When I think of a, of a multitude, like a multitude is right here, when I think of that, that w- what comes to mind with me on this is Lamar. If we were to all go out there in the parking lot and say, we're going to go over there, I guarantee you Lamar's goal is I am going to beat everyone there, and he probably would. <laughs> he probably would. But there are some people who, who would try to get there first. There are some people that I just want to make it. I just want to make it there running. I'm going to run, but I just want to make it. I don't care if I get there first. And there's other people that I don't care what all you fools are doing. You go run with all you want to. I'm just walking. <laughs> so you get a multitude out there. And when it says here in this, this word, but the multitude saw them departing and many knew him. There's multitudes and in that multitudes there are many. How many of you do not need to know Greek to know that many is not as many as the multitude? <laughs> many knew him and ran there on foot from all the cities. And they arrived before them and came together to him. So some of them saw them going and a few of them who were really uh, tied in with Jesus' ministry. They were at all the meetings they could get to. They, 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 you know, followed them everywhere they went. And they saw him going, guys, I know what's going on here. I know where they're going. They're going to that favorite rest spot. I know it. That's, we can beat them there. <laughs> We can get there before them. So let's, let's go. You in with me? Oh yeah, let's go. And so they took off running. And they ran there. And they got there before. But I guarantee you, guarantee you, not all of them ran. 
And not all of them got there before Jesus. Not only can I guarantee you that that's happened, I will prove it to you in the Word of God. So many knew him and ran there on foot from all the cities. Huh. So wherever he is, there's a bunch of people that are seeing him and they're running there from all the cities. They arrived before them and came together to him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. Now, don't forget that I told you I would prove that because that's it's something I want you to see for, for this. But look, at, he saw the multitude. There was a great multitude that was there. And he was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. Why were they like sheep without a shepherd? What is it that Jesus saw about them that was like sheep without a shepherd? And it moved him with compassion. Now, in order to figure some of this out, I went over to John's gospel in verse uh, chapter 21 and verse 15. You all know the story when Jesus came to Peter and said, Peter, do you love me? And he said it three times. Well, I don't like to go over all the things, we, but I, I just don't like people to, to miss it. How many people think or have heard teaching that Jesus said this to them him three times because he betrayed him three times? How many have heard that and don't know any better? Go ahead and raise your hand because otherwise I'm going to skip over this. Anybody at all? All right, everybody's been around. If you've been around here for a while, we've, we've crushed that for you. Jesus did not do this three times because <laughs> he had to betrayed him three times. There were three different things Jesus said to him. We're not going to cover it now since nobody raised their hand. We're just going to keep on going. If anybody on Facebook is listening, I, I didn't see your hand. <laughs> Put a comment in there and I'll get back with you. <laughs> so when they... Uh, Verse 15, so when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. First time he, he did this, he said, feed my lambs. Second time, he said to him, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, test my sheep or tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? Now, he's grieved not because he said it three times. How many of y'all know that? It's not because he said it three times. It's because of what he said the third time. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Three times Jesus asked him this question. Two times he asked him the same question. One time he asked him the question differently. And that's what made Peter sad. And Peter answered him the same way all three times. Peter does not try and and cover up what's going on. He said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So we have three commands here as far as him going out there and and, uh, taking care of the people. First off, feed my lambs. Secondly, tend my sheep. And third, feed my sheep. If you are going to be a shepherd, the thing that you need to do is, first off, you need to feed the lambs. Secondly, you need to tend the sheep. And third, you need to feed the sheep. That's what he's telling you. Three things you've got to be doing. Now, lambs, you know, are different from sheep. Lambs are young sheep. You don't get to be a sheep before you'll be a lamb first. So they got to be a lamb. They're the young ones. He said, feed them. Feed them. Secondly, the sheep, you got to tend them. He doesn't say tend the lambs, does he? It says tend the sheep because generally the lambs are going to go where the sheep go. So he says you corral the, 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 the sheep 
and you get them going the right direction, the lambs are going to follow. But now listen to this. I want you to feed the, the sheep. Now you don't feed the lambs the same way you feed the sheep, do you? All you need to figure this out is go into any restaurant, except we were at a restaurant not too long ago, and this would be the exception. So I'm not going to tell you where that one is, but that restaurant doesn't have it. But if you go to any restaurant, and if you come in with uh, with little children in tow, what do they ask you? How many children's menus do you need? Because most restaurants, they have the adult res- uh, the adult menu, then they have the kids' menu. Now, what's on the kids' menu? Chicken fingers are on the kids' menu, right? We got that grilled cheese, hot dog, cheeseburger, mac and cheese. <laughs> Especially for our kids. They don't have mac and cheese in there. We may be leaving. But they have, and pretty much all of them have the same thing because kids seem to eat the same stuff. Why is that? Now, the, the stuff that we survived on when we were kids, it's just amazing. My mom had the hardest time getting us to, to eat different things. She just, she went to the doctor one time. She took my brother there and uh, he was asking her what she was feeding him because we were skinny. You think I'm skinny now. I am, I have lots of meat on my bones compared to what I used to have. I mean, I am almost chubby. You, you laugh. I am not kidding you. I am the heaviest I have ever been in my entire life right now. Which is five pounds heavier than I graduated from college. This is the biggest I've been. And uh, when we were growing up, my brother and I, we were both the same. We, we were string beans. I mean, I was so light, I didn't weigh 100 pounds, enough, enough weight in ninth grade to go out for the 100-pound football team. So I couldn't go out for the 100-pound football team because you had to weigh 100 pounds. I don't even know if I wore, if I weighed 90. There was no weight on me. It was not because I was not eating. It just didn't stay on. But my brother, he had a, a pickier diet than I did. You think I have a picky diet now? I just tell you things I don't like. I don't tell you all the stuff that I do like because what I do like, I eat. I, eat, I, I, I enjoy eating them. But um, she was in the doctor's office. I just remember this story because she told me. She probably had stories like this about me too. I don't remember them as well. But she would go in there and she'd say, you know, what, do you, what kind of stuff do you, you feed them? And she'd say, peanut butter, remember, get this right, peanut butter crackers and green juice. Green juice was one of those high C type of things that had green, but it had vitamins in it, you know, green juice. Now, I remember that green juice. I couldn't stand it. Oh, I don't know how he drank it, but he would drink that with peanut butter and crackers. And that was, that was a meal for him. And she was thrilled because she got protein in them. She got some, <laughs> got some vitamins in there. I mean, she's looking at the stuff that she got in and telling it to the doctor. Like, she's proud. She's, uh, he's, he's eating this. <laughs> My daughter goes through some of the same things with her, with her son. I think there's, what is there, five things on his menu? Four, five. And on any particular day, two of those things are off the table. You just don't know until the, the day arrives. It's just how it is. But you feed lambs differently than you feed sheep. Now, what happens with in the, in the area of pasturing, in the area of teaching, sometimes we tend to teach and feed the lambs more than the sheep. And you'll go into some churches and they structure it all around the lambs but then the sheep aren't fed. 
Now, if you go to the other direction, if you just feed the sheep, now the lambs aren't fed. He said, feed the lambs, feed the sheep, and tend the sheep. So I've always tried to keep that in focus. We have to feed the young ones. We've got to feed the ones who've been around for a while. And we've got to tend them. Now, sometimes tending them it means you ignore some stuff. And sometimes it means you get involved. And I'll tell you what, I don't know that I have all the wisdom and all that just yet, but sometimes we let some things go. Sometimes we jump in the middle of it. But there's, there's some tending that has to go on. So Jesus jumps in and he's meeting the need of a shepherd. And this, the scripture says that Jesus, in meeting this need of a shepherd, teaches them. But look at this, this scripture. Look at what he says to it. When Jesus came out, saw a great multitude. He was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep, not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. Now, when you, how many have ever heard people, I want to go back in time and I want to look at the, see the miracles that were going on. How many have ever thought, don't raise your hand on this, just use your hand on him. I've ever thought, I want to go over here to, to, to see the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. I want to see what happened. Every time I think of this story, the only thing I think about is not the feeding of the 5,000. Every time I read this story, this is what I think about. What things did he teach? Every time I come to the story, I feel so gypped because we're not given the things that he taught. Every time I read this, I, oh, what did you teach? We go back to the videotape. I know many people were going to the end, fast forwarding to the end. They want to see the, that. I want to go back and hear all the teaching because I want to see what he taught. We didn't record it here. But he began to teach them many things. Their greatest need was to be taught. And he didn't just teach them a few things. He taught them many things. Now, how long does it take to teach many things? It takes a little while. Where are we? In a deserted place. Who's your helpers? Twelve hungry, tired, worn out disciples. And you're going for a marathon meeting. That's important to know when you get to the next verse. Verse 36. Oh, I didn't get fill in all your... I gave you a few blanks here. I haven't been giving you as many of those. But most people want miracles, but they need teaching and tending. Do you know that most people want miracles? But what they need is teaching and tending? But we're drawn to the miracles. What drew people in crowds to Jesus' ministry, uh, Jesus' meetings? It was the miracles. That's what drew them. What did they need? Teaching and tending. Miracles attract, but do nothing to strengthen you. Miracles will attract you to the things that are going on, but they do nothing to strengthen you. I'm not saying throw miracles out. Glory to God for miracles. But our hunger has to be for those. Verse 36. Send them away. This is from the 12 people who are tired, worn out, hungry, who are in a deserted place and have had no food, no time to eat for a little while now. And now we've just been in a marathon meeting. 
Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread for they have nothing to eat. Now, remember the question we started off with? Do you know more than God? The disciples here have been stewing on this for a little while because we've seen other stories how they stew and stuff. The meeting is going on. We came here for rest and relaxation and one-on-one time or 12-on-one time with Jesus. <laughs> we wanted some personal ministry time with Jesus and to tell him some more about what was going on and to hear. You know, we had some questions. How many of y'all know when you minister to people, uh, you can get some questions about some stuff that went on. I'm not sure why this happened or I didn't know how to do this or uh, somebody asked me a question on this and I wasn't sure how to answer them and this is your opportunity to get that. And when they're there, all these other people intruded. And so you're just, how many of you can tell? You're just kind of buying the time. Yeah, they got an hour at his time. Two hours. <laughs> Two hours. I mean, we still haven't eaten anything. Three, three hours. John, how much longer is this meeting going on for? We came here to have some time with Jesus. I know. I was looking forward to that time with Jesus and I'm tired. We were teaching and ministering and I'm tired. Four hours. Could it be five hours of meetings? So finally they come up to Jesus. Jesus is teaching. Maybe he just finished up his 10th sermon. I don't know. But they come up to Jesus and look, send them away. They didn't come up to Jesus and say, Jesus, is it, is it about time for the meeting to be over? What, do you have anything else planned here? Anything else we can help with? They didn't do that. They, did, they come up to him and say, send them away. <laughs> now, who's moved with compassion? <laughs> Jesus was moved with compassion. They were not. They probably saw that multitude coming and felt like you did when you saw that talkative neighbor coming your way. Oh, dear. I better get in this car fast because if they see me, Send them away that they may go. <laughs> I don't know if they put that emphasis on it, but I did. That they may go <laughs> into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread for they have nothing to eat. How many of you can feel the compassion on their part that they've had nothing to eat? Can you feel it? Man, they really have... They, these, these, I know these people are hungry and I'm sure they just want to get some food. Just send them, send them out there so they can get some food. What they didn't say, and I kind of hear it in their in their tone, if they had a tone in printed words. Send them away, because we are tired of these people <laughs> intruding on our time. And beside that, we're hungry. <laughs> I don't care about them being hungry. We're hungry. I need to get some food. Man. When we were in there doing the ministry and stuff, I mean, we didn't think of it, but now we're thinking about it. So they feel the need to inform Jesus about the time and the conditions. I don't know if you know about this, Jesus, but there's not a whole lot around here. And uh, we need to send them away because, uh, you know, Jesus doesn't know these things. Oh, my, how they have lost sight of who the master is. 
They feel they must give Jesus some of their wisdom and what to do. You've never felt that, have you? But he answered and said to them, you give them something to eat. Now, if you've ever wondered about this, does Jesus have a bit of an attitude towards them? I'm kind of on the side that Jesus has a little bit of an attitude towards them. Wait a minute, wait. Send them away because you guys don't want to deal with this? You give them something to eat. Huh. You give them something to eat. Now, if you're turning in your Bibles, don't lose your finger here because we're coming right back to it. But over in John chapter 6 and verse uh, 5 and 6, this is before all this began. Jesus is at the place where they're going and Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him for he himself knew what he would do. So while they're there in the place, they see multitudes coming. So some were already there, but more are on their way and they're coming in. And as Jesus sees, we got all these people here, we got this multitude coming in, Jesus sees it and he goes over to one of his disciples. And he says to Philip, he says, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Is he trying to get Philip to think about what's around here? No. This he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. So before the multitude got there, he knew what he was going to do. That means that Jesus knew the multitude was going to follow before he left to take them to a deserted place. And when he got there and he saw them coming, he already knows what he's going to do. But he says to the disciples, this is before all the teaching happened. This is the beginning of the story. John gives us this little tidbit here in the beginning. The rest of them leave this part out. Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? So you see, he's now thinking. Now how many of you know Philip probably told some others? Guys, Jesus was asking me about buying bread that uh, they may eat. But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. He already knew it. So, he says, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? So you see where that, that came from? That came from something that Jesus sowed into them. He wants them to think about this. So the whole time the ministry is going on, the whole time Jesus is teaching things, they're thinking about, what are we going to do? We can't go anywhere to buy food. We've got to send them away. So they're thinking about all this the whole time. And um, Jesus did this to test them. For he himself knew what he would do. Jesus knew we're not going anywhere to buy any bread. But I want you to see what he said. You give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. When he told the man, rise, take up your bed and walk, what did he empower that man to do? Rise, take up his bed and walk. When he told the man to go wash in the pool of Siloam, what did he empower that man to do? And receive his healing for blindness. How many times did Jesus give a command? And all the stories we just looked at recently, how many times did Jesus give a command to say to do something and it empowered them to do something that they couldn't do. The man with the withered hand. Stretch forth your hand. He doesn't have the ability to do that. But he did it. 
when Jesus says this to him, even think of this one. Peter, when he's walking on the water, what did Jesus say to do first? Come. 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 Lord, if it be you, bid me to come. And Jesus said, come. And that empowered him to walk on the water. When Jesus says, you give them something to eat, what did he empower them to do? If you've ever wondered, does does a story make it in the Word of God where Jesus told somebody, rise, take up your bed and walk? Or whatever it was that he did. And they didn't do it. This is the story. This is the one time I can think of where God gave him a command. Jesus gave a command. And it wasn't followed. He says, you give them something to eat. He didn't say, you go buy something to eat. He says, you give them something to eat. But you see, in the beginning, Jesus already knew what he was going to do. Now, he already knew what he was going to do, so he already knew this was going to get done. But he just empowered them to do what he was going to do. He empowered them to do it. And what did they do? You give them something to eat. And they said, they is plural. They said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? Now, let me, let me translate this for you. Jesus is at the pool and the lame man is on the ground and he says to the lame man, do you want to get well? I have no one to put me into the pool. And Jesus says to the man, rise, take up your bed and walk. And the man said, I am not able to get up. That's the equivalent of what the disciples just did. We're not able to give them something to eat. Where shall we buy bread? That these may eat is what Philip's heard Jesus say. Well, again, he said this to test him. Jesus is testing them. Let's see what you guys are going to do. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? Verse 38. But he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. Now they're saying they have nothing. He says, look, I want you to go back there and check it out. How, how many loaves do you have? When they found out, they said five and two fishes. So apparently, not only did the people come with no food to a deserted place, the disciples didn't have any food either. Because if Jesus had brought food out to feed the disciples, would they not have had the food that they brought? But instead they had five loaves. And we're not talking about those loaves that you can make multitudes of sandwiches out of. We're talking about five snack loaves because this was not a family's lunch. This was a little boy's. It's a little little snack for him. I don't know about you. I have never in my life ever, nor have I wanted to put fish on bread and eat it. I've never had that desire. I I still don't do it. That's basically what it is, it's a fish sandwich. Now, you cook the fish and you put all kinds of seasonings on it and do all sorts of stuff like that, you know, that's a whole different animal. But we're not talking about that. We're just talking about a couple of fish. No, I'm not going to go out there and put any sardines on no crackers and eat them. I'm not going to do it. You may want to. This apparently those little boy like to do that sort of stuff. I would not do it. So they bring these things up. 
Now, when Jesus said to them, you give them something to eat, he obviously didn't see their inability to do it. Right? Isn't that kind of obvious? I mean, Jesus did not see that they did not have the ability to give them something to eat. That's what they they had to bring Jesus up to speed on that. Jesus, you're telling us to give them something to eat. We obviously have to tell you (laughs) we don't have that ability. Surely you have never done that with God. Surely you have never, if God said, I want you to, you have never said, oh God, I can't do that. Have you? Never. Not a single time. How many of you still, you can use your outside hand for this, how many of you still have some things that God has told you to do that you haven't done yet? Only a few brave people willing to say. I bet you all of us do. And the reason we haven't done it is number one, I don't think I can. Number two, I don't think it'll do any good. Number three, I'm not completely sure God said it. Isn't that about right? But I know it's there. But he said to him, how many loaves do you have? Go see. And then when they found out, they said five and two fish. Now, Jesus didn't hear their excuses. When he said, go give them something to eat, and they came up with an excuse, that he didn't want to hear it. Understand this, God doesn't want to hear your excuses either. Sometimes people spend an hour in prayer telling God all the reasons why they can't do something. You didn't spend any time in prayer. I don't care how long you're on your knees. God doesn't care about your excuses. He doesn't want to hear about it. Because your excuses, don't, you're giving them voice. You're, you're giving them some of your energy. God says, stop giving those things your energy. Give the command the energy. You give them something to eat. They, they were pretty convinced they had nothing. Jesus said, go look again. I want you to go find out. Go and see what you got. And then they, when they found something, they compared it to what they needed. You've never done that, have you? You've never taken inventory of what you have and compared it to what you need. When we looked at the story of David and Goliath, how many people took inventory of what they had in the way of fighting skills and compared it to what they need? And decided, I don't have enough. But David took inventory of what he had and compared it to the need and said, oh, we got this. <laughs> we got this. He's just an uncircumcised Philistine who has desecrated the people of God. We got this. See, Jesus looked at what they had combined with the power of God and saw it as greater. If you could ever get outside of yourself and see what you have combined with the power of God as being greater than your need, most of us would be over, be overtaken with our answer. Well, in John chapter 6, verse 9, There is a lad who has five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? All right, well, we got this, but I mean, really, is this going to do anything? Is this going to help? 
How about the woman in the Old Testament, the widow, who had a little tiny bit of oil and a little tiny bit of flour? But what is this among so much? How many times can you go back into in the Word of God and find that Israel was facing the battle and all they had is a handful of people compared against the great multitude? Gideon took 300 men in the battle. Just a few hundred men going into battle against a multitude of people. How many of you would say, what is this among so many? You've got to stop looking at your ability compared to the need and see your ability multiplied by the power of God. Because God's into multiplying. He doesn't do addition. He likes multiplication. The devil likes to do division. He likes to take what you have and divide it up. He also likes subtraction. He likes to steal what you have. But God's into multiplication. He'll do addition too. Once you get your faith there, he'll do multiplication. Verse 39, Then he commanded them to make them all sit down in groups on the green grass. So this deserted place had green grass. Isn't that interesting? So they sat down in ranks in hundreds and in fifties. See, Jesus makes preparation for something that cannot presently happen. Can't happen. But he makes preparations for something that at this time cannot happen as if it's going to come about. Call those things that be not as though they were. We looked at that verse the last two weeks. He makes preparations for a multitude to eat food that is not there. Now, that's more than just calling for it, isn't it? That's not just calling for it, that's preparing for it. What kind of preparations have you made for the things you say you're calling for? See, most of us don't make preparations. We just call for it. So I call for this bill to be prayed. Well, what preparations are you making for this? And when he had taken the five loaves and two fishes, he doesn't look for more. He takes what he's got. And he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them and the two fish he divided among them all. And they all ate and were filled. Now it doesn't take a genius to figure out there's a whole lot that happened between verse 41 and verse 42. But we're not told what happened. We'll have to wait for the videotape. Get up into heaven. Go through the, uh, go through it. Get to see it. But they all ate and were filled. And we're told that it was 5,000 men. That's just the men. More than likely they were all married. They don't count the boys. They count the men. So you're looking at they all brought their wives. That's 10,000 people. And if they each had 2.3 children. You know, you'd be looking at somewhere around 23,000 people right there. Now, just a little side note. Apparently, some children are unsupervised. There are some children who are attending this meeting that are not supervised by an adult. Otherwise, why are you sending a boy with his lunch?
So we really don't know how many people are there. Isn't it neat that, that children would want to follow Jesus' meeting into a deserted place even though mom and dad didn't come? If mom and dad came, how many of y'all know they're holding the lunch? But it's the little boy's lunch because he's there unattended. How many others are there? So when you're saying all were filled, you're looking in excess of twenty or 30,000 people that are on this deserted place and that eat until they're filled from five loaves and two fish. Now, this is about past, present, and future. What happened in the past that would have given faith to disciples to do this? This is the first time, really, we ever see this kind of a feeding miracle. In the Old Testament, we had manna come down from heaven. We had quail that God brought in. But we never had people sit down with no food and, and, and food materialized right there. They had nothing to, to base anything on. But still, Jesus' words were, you feed them. You give them something to eat. The power was there if they would have done something. Now, how many times do you feel the need to inform God about your situation? About how dire it is? About how much you need this thing or that thing? How many times do you feel the need to do that? Because God doesn't know. Or God is not responding. He's not, Jesus is not closing on this meeting in time. We need to inform Him and get Him to quit this meeting. Send these people home. How many of you can see the problems with what Jesus has asked of you? Do you ever wonder why criticalness is so rampant among Christians and non-Christians as well? And why God hates it? Do you ever wonder why? Because if you get into looking at the faults of everyone around you on a consistent basis to where you can see their faults before you can see their good, their faults jump out at you, if you get into that type of thinking, you will find fault with everything God tells you. And you will not even realize you're doing it. Don't let that happen. Do not find fault with what God says. If you would have been the man who had the mud smeared on your eyes and he said, go in the pool and wash off, how many of you could have found some fault? And what Jesus said to do. How many times did the Pharisees find fault with what Jesus said to do? You don't want to follow after their, their spot. It is not God that is inspiring you to find the faults in the people that are around you. And if it's not God, folks, where does it come from? Don't follow His inspiration. It'll hold you back. And without even realizing it, God is going to tell you, do this over here. And immediately you, you will know what's wrong. You will follow in line with these disciples. You give them something to eat. How are we going to do that? Where are we going to go and buy food for all these people? One version. But 200 denarii, even dent this. You need to come to a place of trust that God knows some things. I wrote down three things here. You can fill them in on your outline however you want to. But you need to get to a place of trust that God knows what He's doing. First off, 
You need to come to a place of trust that God knows what you need. You need to come to a place of trust that God knows what you need. When Jesus saw his disciples were hungry and tired, they also, I mentioned this to you, they also got that bad news about John the Baptist being beheaded. That's covered in several of the accounts. John had just been beheaded and he took them on out here to, uh, hey, this, this is a tough loss for us. Took them on out there. Know that God knows what you need. Now, when he took them out there, how many know they didn't get the rest and they didn't get the food for a while? How many disciples died that day? Not a single one, did they? But they all had an opportunity to grow. Here's number two. Come to a place of trust that God knows what is coming in your future. He knows what's coming. And He knows what you need to do to get there. As I told you, this is the only miracle that is ever referred back to that the disciples needed to learn the lesson. Look it up in in the Bible when you go home if you want. But it said, for the disciples had not yet learned the lesson of the loaves and the fishes. This is such an important lesson, they actually went through it twice. Once with the feeding of the 5,000 and once with the feeding of the 4,000. And remember, they were to offer, their, to offer Jesus and he was giving them a spiritual teaching. Beware of the teaching, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they determined it's because we didn't take bread. And Jesus said to them, you think it's because you didn't take bread? Did you not learn the lesson? How many baskets full did you take up with the feeding of the 5,000? How many baskets full did you take up with the feeding of the 4,000? And they told him, and you still don't know? And they said, they commented about themselves, for they had not yet learned the lesson of the loaves and the fishes. Here's number three. Come to a place of trust that God knows what you have in supply. He knows what you got. If God has been telling you to exercise, He knows what you lack and what you have. If He's been telling you to change your diet, He knows what you have and what you, what you don't. If He's telling you about a new job, about friends, about whatever it might be, He knows what you have in supply. This is the thing you got you got to learn. Come to a place of trust that God knows these three things. This knowledge, this does not come through miracles. You will not come to this place of trust with God because of miracles that have gone on in your life. In fact, look at the people in the in the gospels who had miracles done in their life and how quickly they turned against God. Miracles provide no no depth. But through knowing and understanding his word, that's how you get there. You got to know and understand. Every single week, you should be pushing to learn more. Every single week, you should be learning more. You should not just be rehashing the same old things. You should be finding out what does God have to say to me about these things? What is God teaching me? And then when you, when you branch, branch through that, you should let God say, oh, I've always thought this before. 
I've always thought that it was this way. And God says, uh-uh, it's not that way. It's this way. He's expanding you. Are you going to listen to that expansion? Are you going to listen to when he does that? See, most Christians, remember Paul said, you can endure meat. Remember he said that to them? So I have to feed you with milk. Milk won't grow you. He says you need to have meat, but you won't endure it. There's people who will not endure it. But this is what's going to get you ready. This is what prepares you for what's ahead. Jesus said to them, you give them something to eat. And they failed. Don't be a, a failure in this. God has said some things to you. And when he says it, the very fact that he said it is empowering you to get it done. God spoke something to you. Now you got to make sure it's God. The Word of God tells you, test the spirits. That means there's false ones out there. Test the spirits to make sure that they're so. Or just let that go. Knowing and understanding His Word. That's the most important thing in your life. you got to grow in it. you got to be delving into the meat. You're going to have to hear some things from the Word of God that hurt a little bit. If it don't hurt, you're not growing. You know, p- people that are athletes, they have that phrase. How many of you have ever heard this? No pain, no gain. No pain, no gain. I love that phrase. I have it on a shirt. <laughs> I love that phrase. I think about it for everything. See, unfortunately, this, this can hold you back too. Because something, there's some pain that's not good. There's some pain that's bad. But I can sometimes get the mentality, all pain is good. Bring it on. And that's not always the best thing to, to do. There are some times that you have to listen to some pain. I learned some of that. It's, oh, this is a pain. We don't want to just push through this one. <laughs> this, this, this was not good. It made it worse. But you see, you can just take that, that statement and just get a little carried away. But the Word of God. I'll tell you, you listen to some preachers, they ought to step on your toes every once in a while. If not, you're not listening to the right ones. The Word of God, what you're reading through, the Spirit of God may tell you some things, Step on your toes. That means you're tied in. If the spirit that you're listening to never steps on your toes, you're not tied into the right spirit. Because the Word of God, I'll give you a verse of Scripture for that. The Word of God says right here. He says, those whom He loves, He disciplines. If He wants to make your vine productive, what does He do? He prunes. How many knows that pruning can hurt? It's all right. If the Spirit of God is not speaking to you in such a way as to be pruning and disciplining, what you're hearing is probably not the Spirit of God. Because He's going to do that, everyone. Now, He'll do it in such a way that He doesn't slap you upside the face and uh, get up. <laughs> he doesn't do that. He corrects you. But He does it in love. And then once you, oh, I see that. I, yeah, all right. Now let's just, let's just, uh, let's fix it. He doesn't want you under guilt and condemnation that rest of your time. He says, good. Now you realize it. Let's fix it. Let's go on. Would you all stand up with me? Glory to God. Father, I thank you that your word corrects us, that your word instructs us. I thank you, Father, that there is much that we have to learn. And the Spirit of God is prepared and willing to teach us. I thank you that you have raised up men and women 
who are going before us under your anointing and are teaching us things that we need to know. And I thank you that we can glean those things and learn those things. I thank you for the help that you give us, Father. We give you the praise and the glory for all that you have done through us and all that you still intend to do. For when you give us a command, every single command comes with power. If we just would trust that your words are true, we can be those who walk on water, those who cast out demons, those who lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. We can be those who teach your word, instruct, minister, help. And even as the disciples were in this story, we could be those who would feed thousands with a few loaves of bread and fishes. If we would only trust you and take you at your word. I thank you for the things that are in our life. You have put tools. You put many things in our life. Important things. The enemy wants us to not use them. To let them sit back and gather rest. We don't learn how to use them because they stand idly by. Father, we want to take the tools that are in your word. Things that we've learned and we want to put it to work. And as we do, we uncover more. And we get stronger and stronger and overcome more and more. I thank you, Father, that our faith is not only built on things in the past. It's a faith that changes the things that we're in now. That nothing that we are in now is permanent. It will change. The enemy wants us to think it will change for worse. You want us to see it will change for the better. And our faith is future because we are always looking towards those things you have said shall be. So much so that we'll call those things that be not as though they were just as Jesus did here and in others as well. I thank you for it. Glory be to God. We give you the praise and the glory for it this day. Hallelujah. With every head bowed, if you're here today, I'll ask you to raise your hand on this just so I can see you. If you've been sitting on some things that God has said to you, but you endeavor right now to change that. Stand here right now and make that commitment. I will change this. I will do what God has said. Stop making up excuses or looking at my own inventory as being the reason for it. Raise your hand. I'm going to make this change. Father God, you see the people that have raised their hands. This is a commitment they're making to you. They will change these things. And I thank you for the power of God that works in their life to bring these things about. That when they step out in faith and trust you, trust your word, great things are going to come about. Give you the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Sister Marguerite. Good morning. Uh, I say to my Zoe Church family, um, those that are here and those that are watching by way of the Internet, um, we're always so grateful to be here and to hear the Word of God. 
um, first in worship and praise and music, and then in hearing the teaching of God's word. And we're so grateful that as we hear the teaching, that we um, understand that uh, in corrections that God will give us, that he corrects us in his word. And that is so important that we know where the correction is coming from and that we heed to that correction. So I'm grateful to see all of you here. And um, we each week like to uh, bring to you any uh, praise reports and uh, anything that you'd like us to just agree with you in prayer on. And this morning we have a praise report from um, Brother Bruce. Uh, he's saying that he would like to thank the Holy Spirit for directing him to his misplaced eyeglasses this morning. Um, they were in a place that uh, most people would never have thought of to look, no matter how many times they backtracked in their steps. And so we're, we're grateful to God for the the big things. You know, we can always say thank God, but we thank God for those small things. I know I myself have uh, misplaced glasses or uh, keys or and different things, and in the scheme of things, you might think, well, oh, that's not a big deal. Well, it's a big deal when you can't find them. And so we thank God for helping us in every area of our lives that we can trust him. We can trust him. He's our father, and we can trust him. Um, today, we are having our covered dish dinner, and um, we ask that uh, if you can stay and uh, with us, we would love to have you. Um, there will be plenty of food. And we're usually finished with everything by 2.15. So you all are welcome, and we hope that you will stay. And uh, it's kind of a rainy day out there anyway, so it's kind of nice to be in here and just fellowship some, you know, continue the fellowship. God bless you, and have a wonderful day, rest of your day, and a wonderful week.